This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3421 for Monday, the 13th of September 2021. Today's show is entitled Black Kernel's Journey into Technology, Episode 1. It is the first show by new host Black Kernel and is about 16 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is learning about assembly and social engineering before I could read. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome to Hacker Public Radio. My name is Izzy Leibowitz. I'm 25 years old, and this is going to be a story of how I got into technology. I'm a longtime listener of this show, but this is my first episode, so I thought it would be fitting to do a sort of introductory story. Uh, now, the main beats of this story have been already told by Klaatu on his podcast, New World Order, episode 379. And I will link that episode into the show notes. It's going to be a link to the OG file of the show, just to warn anyone who thinks that it might be a uh, like a landing page or something. It's going to be a link to the direct OG file, so if you're in a library or something, make sure that you have headphones in or whatever, so that you don't blast the audio all over without realizing it. Um, but this is going to be a bit more in-depth. I'm going to go into each stage of my development in technology, so it's going to be more than one episode. Uh, this episode is going to be just sort of the introductory, so this is going to be up until the age of five, which in the United States, at least in the part that I'm in, uh, that's typically when kids would join school, and this all happened before I was in the first grade of school. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, we had one computer, it was a Windows 95 computer at the time, and I have five siblings, three sisters and two brothers, uh, so we didn't really get a whole lot of time on each on the computer all at once. It was divided up into, you when, when you started using the computer, you had to set a timer for 30 minutes, and then when that was over, then the next person got to use the computer. Or nobody got to use the computer if everyone had used the computer that day, and then you would have to go outside, learn how to play marbles, or read the Encyclopedia Britannica, or other books, or what have you. So that was basically the systems that I had available to me when I was that age. But when, one of the things that my parents would do is they would really encourage exploration of different information. So like whenever we would ask them a question, no matter how simplistic the question would be, like why the sky was blue, if they didn't know the answer to it, then they'd look it up on the Encyclopedia Britannica or they'd look it up on the computer on various things or we'd go to the library and look at like go go look at the i mean if it was a history related question we might go look at the microfiche or if it was something about science or technology we'd go and look at the journals and uh books that were written by various authors in the field in order to figure out like what the answer was in the case of the sky the um the reason being that 
the light from the sun scatters on the oxygen molecules, which produces a blue effect by scattering all of the lower wavelengths of light. So that would be a thing that would be very typical in my family, would be to be able to ask a question and get a very detailed and accurate response. Or at the very least, a complex discussion of the various ideas in the field, what people thought about that idea, and a very Socratic sort of method of discussion on those types of things. Now, one of the questions that I asked when I was a kid, when we had our computer, was how does this work? Like, I'd heard stuff about ones and zeros, and I've heard stuff about it running on electricity and stuff like that, but that doesn't really explain anything. That just says... It's a little better than just saying it's magic. Um, but my my dad, when I asked him this question, he sat me down and he uh, pulled out some paper and he would draw circuit diagrams of transistors. And what that basically looks like is that it's a circle with this kind of three-pronged uh, line in the center. And the way that a transistor works is that when one particular prong of that is energized, it allows for electricity to flow through the other two prongs. And when it is not energized, it blocks that from it blocks the electricity from flowing through the other two prongs. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's different um, types of materials in a transistor, and a concept called forward bias and reverse bias. But that's the basics of it. If one if there, this very particular end is energized, then you can send information through the other two. If it is not energized, then you can't send energy through the other two. So it's an electronically controlled switch like that because it's a, a switch and on and off source that you can control with another electronic source. And then if you hook multiple of these transistors together, you could make what's what are called logic gates. And this was something that he showed me on the paper. He would draw out the transistor diagram for a AND gate and then draw out what the uh, circuit diagram, the schematic diagram symbol for an AND gate was. And then he would use AND gates or, or transistors to so sort of show how you would make a NAND gate or an OR gate and then sort of build up the idea of a full adder from that. A full adder being something where you can take two different inputs from two different um, what are called uh, RS nor latches or any kind of memory addressing, so anything that can store an electronic signal and output it. So you can take the two memory addresses and put it into the ends of an AND gate, and it will add it together, essentially. it'll there, You'll have to take into account carryover bits for the adding process, and that's one of the things that you can do with, um, with computers you, just by feeding the output of the uh of an and gate at the end of the adding process into the next sort of segment of the adder to act as sort of the carryover bit uh, i'm being a little bit hand wavy with a lot of this information but there's a a youtube channel and a, a content creator that i discovered after the fact more recently that does a very good job of explaining in much more detail a lot of the stuff that i'm talking about his name is ben eater I'm going to put a link to his website in the show notes, and he has a whole show on how to build a computer from scratch, and it's very interesting. And a lot of this is the sort of things that my dad was telling me at the time. Although, when I was a kid, I didn't worry about the details too much. I was just mostly interested in the main beats of, like, this is how the information sort of flows through the computer. One of the things that that didn't really explain, though, was... So if you have this stuff in memory addresses, then you can do add a addition to it, or you can do any one operation to it, if you know what operation to take. But how does 
the computer know which operation to take on a given piece of memory. And what my dad would do is he would sort of draw out the different memory registers, and he would talk about this thing called the accumulator. And he went over a couple of things with assembly. And the way that assembly works is that you have this central processing unit that has a bunch of hardware predefined operations that it knows how to handle, as well as an operation for essentially looking at a particular memory register. Like it'll it'll be able to index, okay, if I'm given this number, then that means to go to that memory address or that register in memory. And because of that, if you have one of those registers set to what was called the accumulator, you could have that walk through the breast of the program and tell the computer which instruction to take at which particular time. So if the memory or if the program accumulator started at zero, then you would run the zeroth program or the zeroth code in the program. That then that after that program ran, it might get some input from some external peripheral that might influence the way that it handles the logic gates and then it will modify the um the program accumulator to what the next instruction that it should run is now dealing with ones and zeros dealing with the raw data of this program of this sort of memory tape of these registers very cumbersome so programmers develop something called assembly language which is a way of making this at all human readable i mean it was still literally the ones and zeros just translated it into different keywords. So like, for example, if you had something like MOV or move, I don't know, uh, CDX comma ADX or whatever, then you would be essentially moving the, uh, um, the memory address CDX, move whatever the contents of that were into the memory address ADX. And when you run that program, when you run it through an assembler, it literally just takes move, translates that into the binary code that is move, takes uh, CDX and ADX and translates those into the binary equivalents and just feeds that into the computer because those are literally the instructions the computer understands. Now, this, these were the things that he kind of went over to me when I was a kid. Since then, I've learned a lot about higher-level programming languages, so programming languages that themselves translate into assembly, so that way we don't have to deal with essentially the raw ones and zeros of the actual code, which is what you're doing with assembly. Like C is probably the next one up, where each individual instruction in C translates to a phrase in assembly directly. And uh, similar things can... I, I don't really know how Rust, which is my preferred uh, lowish level programming language, I don't know how that actually compiles per se. I assume it's pretty close to C, but I think it's a little bit higher level than C in that it has some automatic code that it generates for garbage collection and all of that. You don't need to know what any of that means. I'm kind of rambling at this point. But that, th those were sort of the things I was thinking about when I was a kid and sort of why I sort of got interested in this idea of computers as well as understanding that computers, they're really dumb. They don't know a whole lot. They're not very wise or knowledgeable things. They just do what you tell them to do, and that's it. They only do what you tell them to do. So you better know what you're telling them to do, otherwise you're going to have a bad day. Um, but anyway, about more about the computer that I was using at this time as a kid. It was a Windows 95 computer, and it had a uh, sort of overlay on it that was called KidDesk. KidDesk um, was a program that essentially 
limited the permissions of the various users. Like you could set uh, different permissions for what programs each user could use and all of that. And all of it was controlled by the parent's uh, profile and all of that. Uh, when I was a kid, I was set to essentially the strictest setting, so I only had access to, like, a text editor, um, and that's about it, really. I had a text editor, a, um, very, very weak, like, even weaker than the Encyclopedia Britannica, which my family owned, so I would usually use that, but a weak encyclopedia software that was not very complete at all, and maybe, maybe a few games like Pong or something, but mostly my parents wa didn't want me to use the computer because they wanted me to use the um, encyclopedias or they wanted me to learn to play outside or read books, which I did quite a bit. But I, I did really like using the internet because there were a lot of um, there were a lot of games and stuff on the internet that I really enjoyed playing. Like, uh, I don't think this was available at the time. Like, most of what I would do on the computer back in the, when it was Windows 95 was go on webmaster forums and IRC chat and AOL Instant Messenger and sort of just talk with people and get information that way about different computer stuff because I was always really interested in that stuff. Um, but I didn't have access to any of that on my account. So when, once they installed Kid Desk, because they didn't always have it, once they installed Kid Desk, I needed a way of sort of circumnavigating the uh, protections that it offered. And the way that I did that was through a combination of social engineering and sibling bribery, essentially promising that I would do my brother's, my elder brother's chores for like a week. And then he gave me the password to his account so that I could do whatever I wanted to on that. And that, and that worked well for while well, we had the Windows 95 computer. Um, but when we got Windows XP, it was a little bit different. So when we got Windows XP, my parents put on it a, what I remember reading at the time was an enterprise-grade uh, web protection or content or content filtering system called K9 Web Protection, which my parents bragged about all of its security features, about how, oh, if you even try to touch the install of this, even if you access the Windows registry, then it will stop uh, all internet traffic completely, and then you can't even use the internet at all. Um, I, I don't remember if I tripped that. I think I did, which meant that I couldn't use the internet at, on, at the home anymore. And the reason that I did was because I was trying to find a way to break it and try to find a way to exploit it. Which I eventually did find, and what I ended up having to do was I went down to the library to use the computers there, and I took a um, compact disc that my sister would use to burn mixtapes and such. Uh, but I used it to burn onto it. I, I went to a one of those hacks, cracks, and wares sites, and I was able to find a exploit for canine web protection. Uh, it was a privilege escalation exploit that would essentially allow you to uh, impersonate a administrator and delete canine web protection, and it would do all that for you. Uh, and so I took that home, and I used that on my computer, and it did do what it said. It deleted canine web protection, and it was after that point, after my parents figured out that I had deleted canine web protection from their computer and could now access the internet as much as I wanted, uh, that they stopped caring about restricting my access so i had free reign to play the as much club penguin as i wanted to for the rest of my childhood um and that's basically what led to sort of my interest in hacking and in technology in general the next major thing that happened in my life was that i got a computer of my own 
which was essentially uh, my parents were sick of me messing up their computer. So when my eldest sister, who was not living at home at the time, when she um, was about to throw away her old computer that barely functioned, uh, they were going to give it to me, and that would be my computer that I could do whatever I wanted to to it, and that way they my parents didn't have to worry about me you know, contaminating the home computer with all of my hackery-ness. And that's where we're going to start next time uh, in this series. I might do a couple of video, or rather, a couple of episodes between on various subjects, but I, I just kind of wanted to start out with this introductory episode. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me at, you can email me at izzyleibowitz at pm.me. That's India Zulu Zulu. Yankee Lima, Echo, India, Bravo, Oscar, Whiskey, India, Tango, Zulu at Papa Mike dot Mike Echo. Uh, or you can uh, or you can talk to me on Mastodon. I'm Black Colonel at Nixnet dot social. That is Bravo Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo Echo Romeo November Echo Lima at November India X-ray November Echo Tango dot social. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope to talk to you again next time. Bye, Gabald. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.